You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. to win. Mum and Dad, it's hugs all round. Milos Reinich on Canadian soil. Back here playing in Toronto for the first time since 2018. And third, as Kevin gets into one, this is well hit. This is deep. This is gone. What is going on? Welcome to another week here of Halford and Bruff on Sportsnet 650. Still no Halford, still no Bruff. I'm back. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined now by my guy Randeep Janda, finally coming in to do some work this summer after gallivanting across the province. You're back. I am back for one week. For one, one for week. Four days. Not even a full not week. Not even a full week. I made sure to put that in my contract, four-day work weeks in the off-season, but it's good to be back. And hey, listen, I'm working, and it's also early morning, which yes. is always nice. Jamie, always good to host with you. Sure. Man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about the early morning part. Not great, but you know, whatever. You, we'll make it work. I'm heading to Europe next week, it so hit, this is perfect uh, for my fair. time frame, actually. It hits different yeah. after a three-day weekend. Because I on last Friday, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm adjusting. I felt really fresh in the morning. I woke up like slightly before my alarm, which was great. And then this morning, it's after three days of not being on the schedule. It's completely gone. And I feel terrible. Well, yeah, it's morning. a long weekend, right? It's completely gone. You're enjoying so. yourself. I enjoyed the long weekend, but uh, yeah, today, this morning, was tough. Uh, A-Dog is back after taking last week off. Hello. What's going on, man? Um, but Laddie is now gone. The dogs, like yes. like two dogs passing in the night. Yeah. <laughs> not together. <laughs> Laddie is lost. I like that. Very yeah. nice. Just got a, yeah, there's mo- a, ri- a mournful howl. The there's moon. a rift between us, so they're separating us right now. That's the rumor there's I'm going to start. There's a rift. They yeah. got to keep you guys away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're fighting over uh, royalties for the jingles. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure it's 6048, uh, but we're working on it. <laughs> uh, in Laddie's stead, our guy Ben Bazarin is in uh, running things from the control room. Big show this week. I mean, I will say, or today, I should say, one of the nice things about a three-day weekend is um, lots of stuff happens over the over the weekend that we can talk about. Before we get to that, Halford & Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At Kintech.net, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, of course. Never too early to get your What We Learn submissions in. We will read yours coming up at 8.30. Adnan Verk at 7 of the MLB Network. Uh, Greg Wyshynski at 7.30 of ESPN to talk hockey. Mike Tanier, NFL writer for The Messenger, will join us at 8. Before we get to any of that, though, uh, let's talk about what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... How busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? 
So we'll start with uh, not a not a sporting event per se, but big news from the NHL. The San Jose Sharks trade Eric Carlson, the reigning Norris winner, to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Three-way deal, Montreal involved as well. The Penguins get Carlson, a couple of other minor players, a, a third-round draft pick as well. Uh, the Sharks get Pittsburgh's 2024 first-round draft pick, which is top 10 protected, Michael Granlund, Mike Hoffman, from the Habs and Yan Ruda, also from the Penguins. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Yan Ruda. Um, and the Habs get uh, a draft pick from Pittsburgh plus Jeff Petrie back to Montreal and uh, Casey DeSmith also going to Montreal. Uh, San Jose only retaining $1.5 of Carlson's salary. Pittsburgh retaining 25% of Petrie's Sally, which is basically the same number, uh, roughly 1.5 million in each direction there. So the, we'll, we'll talk more about this throughout the course of the show. There's a lot of different ways to take this one and what it means for Pittsburgh, what it means for San Jose, you know, was this the right move? Are they, is it correct for Pittsburgh to be aggressive at this stage uh, of the team building process and where they are? I got to say though, it's a neat trick to acquire Eric Carlson and yet somehow also, get cheaper there they have less money committed on the books for this year uh, than they did before the weekend so just in the, from that perspective uh impressive work by the pittsburgh penguins yeah this trade is one of those that you could probably talk about a lot right based oh, yeah. on the implications for every single team but to your point pittsburgh freed up three million dollars in cap space mm-hmm. they got the reigning norris trophy winner and they got younger at the same yeah. time which is Kind of baffling because Eric Carlson's not young anymore, but no, they no. moved off of Petrie. Neither, neither any of the guys they moved. No, for sure, right? And, and that's one of the things where you look at this, and I really like this deal for Pittsburgh. You get a, a great player, but Jamie, they didn't have to pay very much to get no. a 101-point player last season. And whether the fit works or not, or whether they end up winning a Stanley Cup or not, are they better with Eric Carlson? The answer is yes. 100% they are. Of course they are. And their cap situation is healthier, and they didn't give up much of anything. No, they didn't give up anything they're going to miss for the next couple of years, right? And really, I mean, that's been the the problem in Pittsburgh has been they haven't been zeroed in on what on what the priority should be, right? When Rutherford was there, everyone knew what the priority was. It was, we're going all in all the time. And they got two Stanley Cups out of Trader it. Trader Jim. That's why he was Trader Jim. And that was the correct way to go about it, right? Not just the trades, but the fact that he was always willing to move their first-round pick. When Hextall came in, he was either wanted to or was tasked with a much more patient, trying to be more forward-thinking, future-thinking point of view. And that's kind of got them in this muddle where they are now, where they didn't really make any bold moves, and they w- they ended up wasting a couple of years of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin's career, who, by the way, are still really good players, especially Crosby. He is elite. Malkin had a fantastic season, and when he's healthy, he's still very good. I've never understood the rush to move past this era of Penguins hockey, and I think it's absolutely the right call that Dubas is looking at and saying, you know what, I'm not really concerned with that last year of Eric Carlson's deal. I want to see what more I can get out of these guys right now while they are still really good players. So I think this ended up being uh, a no-brainer for Pittsburgh ultimately. We'll see if this deal pans out for the team because, as you mentioned, you've got a special player, one of the all-time greats in Sidney Crosby, yeah. uh, one of the most dominant players in the playoffs we've ever seen with Geno Malkin in 2009, 36 points. Should have been an NHL 100 player. Still can't believe he wasn't mm-hmm. a few years back. 
But they did need another threat. They needed somebody that could pick up the slack when maybe Geno Malkin was not being consistent or when he was injured. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a forward. In this case, we've seen Eric Carlson. We've seen what he can do. He can activate like a forward. He can be that fourth forward and essentially be the second or third option on a team. And this also helps out Chris Letang just to kind of lay back a little bit. He doesn't have to be the guy that is eating so many minutes. He doesn't have to run power play one. Mm -hmm. He also had his own health trouble last year as well. So it kind of maybe gives them a little bit more of an option to say, hey, we've got a difference maker on the back end. And Letang can maybe play within a role that as he's aging, he can transition into that second pair role. So I like this. And this is a move that is perfect for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but it's also something that Kyle Dubas needs to send a message. Remember, he's coming from Toronto where he wasn't able to do the job. Yeah. Right? Like, they won a playoff round, but I don't think... If that would have been, you know, there's Did that satisfy people? No, no, it did not. So he's got a lot to prove here, too. So the timeline for both of these teams, or both of these, the team and the GM, actually works together well because he's got a lot to prove. I like this aggressive move. It's going to be something that will give us drama in that metropolitan division to watch throughout the year. And there's risk, of course, but they had to accept that risk to get the potential upside, right? Like, that that's ultimately what they – was there going to be another player on the market who could raise their ceiling as much as Eric Carlson does? And there isn't, especially not for the relatively cheap acquisition cost that they paid to get him. And that's, to me, what it comes down to is they needed to find a way to juice the talent level to raise the ceiling – of that team and they did it by getting Eric Carlson. Look, I think there are there's going to be fair questions about the fit there as you mentioned with Chris Letang already in place, but Eric Carlson can help reduce his load significantly and maybe get more efficient minutes out of him. I do think look, we all know Eric Carlson is not a shutdown defenseman, but I I think Eric Carlson is more than smart enough and more than talented enough to adjust his game and play a slightly different style than he was in San Jose last year. In San Jose last year, that was like as most as extreme an all offensive focus a defenseman can have, right? That was basically what the, their season was about: was get Eric Carlson to 100 points, and that's how he played. And the de- defense wasn't pretty. I think on a competitive team, on a team with Sidney Crosby and Geno Malkin in place, on a team with, you know, m- maybe you don't buy them as Stanley Cup contenders, but that's going to be a team with legit Stanley Cup aspirations I think I'm not saying he's going to be you know vintage Chris Pronger all of a sudden but I think he is going to I'm not expecting Eric Carlson having a problem recommitting to the defensive side a little bit I think one thing we also have to keep in mind of is that the other key additions this offseason right Ryan Graves helps them out defensively you've got in the forward group as well Lars Eller and Nola Chari like these guys are picked up for team defense they're not picked up specifically you know, for depth scoring, if they can provide that, that's great. But you're not looking at Lars Eller and Nolachari for that. You're looking to be a tougher team to play against. So where Eric Carlson maybe can't do it to that level, they have made moves that make them a difficult team to play against from a defensive perspective. Yeah, it's um, uh, we, we'll look a little bit more about Pittsburgh, where they stack up later in the show. But again, I think I, I'm not saying there isn't risk and people are texting in like, oh, well, they could fall off a cliff. Yeah, that's true. But when you have Crosby and Malkin and Latang still playing at the level they're at, and by the way, on bargain salaries relative to what they're what the, what they're capable yeah. of doing on the ice, I think that's something that people forget. I, I, it would be malpractice not to go uh, all in, not to keep pushing and trying to contend, and that's exactly 
what Kyle Dubas and the Pens did here. Uh, quickly, one other transaction uh, of note in the NHL. Matt Dumba, uh, one of the biggest names, probably the biggest name still out there on the UFA market, signs with the Coyotes of all teams. One-year deal, probably a bit of a, a chance to go play some major minutes, try to rebuild his value, get back on the open market next year. It does remind me a little bit of the John Klingberg to Anaheim decision last year. Matt doesn't hope. (laughs) I know, but, you know, veteran defenseman going to a situation where he's going to be asked to play a lot and the surrounding talent isn't all that impressive. And I hope for Dumba's sake that it works out better for him than it did for Klingberg in Anaheim last year, which was a disaster. Good for Dumba for finding a home, but, you know, I've seen some people making, oh, could could Arizona be a, a dark horse playoff contender next year? And there's still such a, a lack of talent up and down that roster. I'm not buying it. They're better than they were last year if you look at the talent. I know what you mean. Like, the, the depth is not there. You've got J.J. Moser playing maybe first pairing minutes, yep. potentially. Like, it's not a good situation. But at the same time, you start looking at some of the acquisitions they picked up, right? NHL-level acquisitions. You look at... Uh, you got Kerfoot back there. You got Sean Dursey via trade. You've got players that they didn't have last year. They've got a little bit more versatility in their lineup. They are improved. The question I have is, last year they were kind of in that middle between Chicago and Nashville and St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Are they closer to being at least in the discussion for a wild card spot coming out of the Central? I'm not saying they're going to win it, but are they in that group that's going to be competing for it? With these veteran pickups, if they work out, and that's the big if, if they work out, I do feel like they're better than last year. So I'm not saying they're a playoff team. I'm not drunk like the most of the people on Twitter that are saying that. <laughs> I think they're better suited. And for every Klingberg discussion, remember, Shane Gossespierre was very much of the same way when he was moved out to Arizona. It was a guy that had fallen off yep. in Philly. He actually went to Arizona, played pretty well. So there is a bit of a blueprint in Arizona where you can go reset your value and get moved on to play somewhere else. Uh, Dumba might play along the same way, but I look at this team and I say they're better. But are they a playoff team? No, I, I just I don't think they're. A I just team. still look at the the key positions on a roster, right? And you look at the blue line. There's no there's there's no legit first pairing defenseman, right? There just isn't. I don't even mean a number one, just a one or a two on that blue line. And even the guys that, you know, like Matt Dumba is probably a number four at this stage in his career, ideally. Or like maybe even on a good team, he's he's slotting in in that kind of Tyler Myers third pairing role. You know, Sean Dursey, I like, but more of a number four type of guy. Like yep. there's a there's a such a clear lack of talent on the blue line. And I think back to the years here in Vancouver when it was Good Branson and Pouliot and Del Zotto. And just when you don't have legit top four guys on your back end it can sink your team in a hurry. And then even up front at center, you know, I like Logan Cooley. I think he's going to be really good, but he's still a very young player coming in as a rookie, potentially playing center. It's hard for those guys to really move the needle that much. So, and then, you know, it's, it's Nick Schmaltz. Who's not exactly a two way guy at the, the most important positions are also way where they have the most question marks. I think that's going to hold them back. You're essentially looking at Clayton Keller and Logan Cooley to, drive yeah. play in your top two lines which is going to be a, and, a huge ask and Clayton for. Keller is really good yeah no he can do he it. he can do it I don't know Cooley it's a big ask exactly and you know are they in that discussion though outside of Chicago like I don't see them being I think Chicago will be better I think they'll probably yeah. be a 70 point team this year not a 59 point team Arizona's probably good for be, them 
Hey, that's a win. That's a win. <laughs> Arizona's maybe a 75 to 80 point team. Yeah. And they might be in that kind of Nashville-St. Louis range, but that says more about Nashville and St. Louis to me than it does about Arizona improving. How dare you? How dare you? discredit the team that now has Luke Shen and the Nashville Predators. Uh, All right. More hockey talk as the show continues. Uh, On the diamond, the Jays and the Mariners, both red hot right now. Jays get a sweep on the weekend uh, against Boston and then win last night uh, in Cleveland as well. The Mariners swept the Angels. So the race for the final wildcard spot right now, and there's still a long way to go, but it's looking like it actually could come down uh, potentially to the Jays and the Mariners. Right now, the Jays three games up on Seattle, but again, Seattle eight and two in their last 10. The Red Sox five games back of the Jays. Uh, your Yankees, Randy, last I checked in last place yeah, in the AL East. Great. I haven't been on the air in a long time. I'm willing to could admit he, it's. Who uh, do you think would win in a race, you or Giancarlo Stanton? <laughs> me. And that's not a ringing endorsement of me. Trust me. You see that effort he was putting in? Can we oh, can man. we make this happen somehow? Like who do we t- who do we talk to to get this to be a thing? I'll call Hal Stry- uh, Steinbrenner right I don't now. Know. I, I wonder if that got minutes. I wonder if that got any play on New York radio. I want Aaron Boone as my Schrades partner though. What? I want Aaron Boone as my Schrades partner. Let's get uh, Don LeGrec on the line to see if they were talking about <laughs> Giancarlo Stanton casually jogging into home plate. Uh the real the real uh, talking boy here though is uh, Jay's call up Davis Schneider. Apparently the second coming of Babe Ruth. The, 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 literally, and this is not Jays fan hyperbole here, but arguably the best debut series in Major League Baseball history from Davis Schneider. What he did against Boston, first of all, hitting a home run in his first at-bat over the Green Monster, which is incredible. That, that's just fantastic. He was on base like every time he got up. He hit another home run later in the game. I mean, I, we talked to Shai Davidi on Friday, and he very reasonably was saying, look, temper your expectations, guys. Don't expect him to come in and, and spark the team and, you know, r- turn the offense around. That's exactly what he did against the Red Sox. It was, it was Can't wild. Can't lose with okay. Davis Schneider Honest in the question. lineup. Honest question. Did you even know this guy existed prior to his call? I did, but not prior to this year. Okay. He, he's been someone who's been on – he really burst on the radar this year because he was mashing at AAA. And as the Jays struggled, fans started to say, well, hold on. Like, these guys aren't hitting. We've got this guy who's mashing at AAA. Like, when when are we going to see him? And so there was a little bit of anticipation for that reason. But he wasn't a hyped prospect by any stretch. It's not like people came into the year thinking, oh, David Schneider. Wait till he gets yeah, up here. No, yeah. no, no, no. Not even close. So I'm not going to lie. Prior to this year, I had no idea who this guy was. Like, yeah. I, I had – I did not know he existed. And – the what he was able to do against Boston, A, is incredible on its own, but it was much needed too, right? You have oh, the Bogachet yeah. injury. You yeah. have other injuries throughout the lineup as well. Remember. Uh, well, this, and just uh, underperformance is the big for thing. For sure. Uh, remember, George Springer's streak yep. was just over recently, and not the good streak. It was, a, it was a 0 for, what, 34, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. Something like that. So to have this guy come through the lineup, have that series in Boston, which – the Red Sox are in a bad way right now all of a sudden, too. That's huge. Big divisional opponent. And the injuries are key, right? You have adversity in your lineup. How do you get Ws, and how do you make sure that you're still in control of your own destiny? That's a big moment. So well, Schneider coming up and just giving them that it's boost. It's massive. And that uh, that series in particular, because they were coming off a, a really tough, dispiriting series loss against the Orioles. And so they needed to get back on track, and they did it in a big way against Boston. I, I mentioned uh, Seattle 
swept the Angels. And, I mean, first of all, kudos to Seattle for playing well right now and staying in this race. The Angels, in the most angel, this is like the most Angels thing possible. They make the big statement, and I applauded them for it, and I still do. They didn't give up on the Shohei Otani era. They wanted to make something happen. They wanted to show that they're serious about winning and try to convince him to sign there in the winter. They go all in. They've lost seven in a row since going all in, and they are now eight games back of the final wild card spot. Like, has a team ever fell flat on their face faster after this big, exciting trade deadline than the Angels have right now, getting swept by a divisional and wild card rival in the Seattle Mariners? Like, if I'm Shohei Otani, you make this big, grand effort. Look, we're serious about winning. We're serious, Shohei. It's like, oh, we just lost seven in a row. It's like, well, I'm definitely not signing here. Yeah, These this guys is, can't do anything right. This is the definition of when keeping it real goes wrong. Like, essentially, you double down. You have the rallying cry. You're ready for battle. And what happens? Like, your sword falls, and then you get <laughs> Like, you're done. Like, you trip. That's what's happened here with the Angels. And now, if I'm Shohei Otani, you're, you're surveying the field. Like during in season, at least if you yeah. traded him, and I was always of the opinion that you got to trade him because I understand you feel like you have a chance, but come on, man! Everybody knows the Dodgers, the Yankees—they're coming to play. Like yeah. they're coming to play, and now Seattle maybe Seattle I mean, I potentially could. We'll do. see. I, we hear he loves it. it you sure. never know. Maybe he likes Pike Place, <laughs> the original <laughs> Starbucks. Loves Pike Place, big Pike like Place that, guy. Yeah. <laughs> The mac and cheese place next to the, the original, original Starbucks. Yeah, the original big fan Starbucks. of that. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine in the press conference after he signs, show hey why why Seattle? I just love the original Starbucks. I love waiting in line. For I love waiting in line. Five minutes, taking a selfie up there. It's fantastic stuff. Really. No, that's that's brutal, man. Oh, that's it's brutal. so bad. It, it, it's one of those things that you're looking at and saying, okay, can we? If I had a time machine, and I'm I'm the GM of that team. <laughs> Yeah, I do this very, very differently. Uh, the other interesting note from Major League Baseball over the weekend was one of the most entertaining brawls and most, I don't, I don't know what the word is, violent, I guess, really, but like most actual like a fight brawl you'll ever see in Major League Baseball where uh, Tim Anderson of the White Sox challenges Jose Ramirez to a fight at second base after Ramirez was upset about a tag that Tim Anderson put on him. And the umpire, uh, maybe he's been watching hockey replays or something. I don't know. But he just said, yeah, all right, you guys. You know, he saw Tim Anderson squaring up. And the umpire just kind of faded into the background. and said, I'm going to see what happens here. Tim Anderson starts swinging at Jose Ramirez. It does not go well for Tim Anderson. He gets, like, not just a little knocked out. Like, really knocked out to where he has the jelly legs and he's being helped off the field by his teammates after. Yeah, the it's a way, tough look. The way he lands is like, you know, when you are you take a punch and it looks like you're about to seat yourself in a chair, but no, you fall rear end first. Like, that was yeah. that was a clean knockout. The most graceful thing about that entire thing was the referee, or the umpire. The umpire, sorry. yeah. I was going to well, say no, referee. He was, he, was like, he was like a he, linesman. He, he was, was auditioning to be a linesman. He was, like a, he was like a boxing referee. He just kind of was, was in the background a little bit. But Tim Anderson, I think most – Major League Baseball players would be okay with the guy getting knocked out. Yeah, being Tim Anderson, he's not yeah. all that well received in baseball. Um, but more than anything, it's tough when you start the fight, like because he was like theatrically squaring up. Oh, yeah. I'm like, all right, let's get ready. We're gonna throw down here. It's tough when you're that guy, and then you also we've all lose. seen the guy at Granville, on Granville Street. Come on now, and when you, and then you lose, then you get served so convincingly. That's not a good spot to be in. But can we all acknowledge though? 
Ramirez had no idea that he was throwing that punch. Like it no, was no, no, it was blind <laughs> luck. For it sure, it was blind luck. He was like being restrained and just like kind of one one last wild swing, and it connected. Okay. When was well, the last time something like that happened in the MLB? Like, like a fight, I mean, of, a fight of that yeah, stature. Yeah, Odor and Batista. But even was, o- was that o- the last one? I was trying to think of something more recent. I'm trying to think of like a clean shot landed. I mean, yeah. that one stands out. But even Odor, like Batista didn't buckle. No, like no, no. Anderson did. Like that was a good, solid he had, shot. He had a Tyson Fury type chin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but he can. Batista proved that he could take a punch in that one. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last time. Uh, something like that happened. It might be Bautista. It's it's yeah. it's so much it's wild. It got, just got memed into oblivion. It's so much uh, more rare now than it yeah. used to be. Like like fights, charging the mound, anything. We don't see a lot of uh, Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura no, moments no. Or, anymore. Uh, Pedro and Zimmer. <laughs> yeah, which was that one will never be replicated. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this. I was watching this fight, guys, in this brawl. I watched it a couple of times. I was like, why do I love these? And I came to realize it's because they resemble a high school fight. Nobody really knows what they're doing. <laughs> There's just chaos and a bunch of dudes that can't fight. And they're just throwing haymakers left, right, and center. And, and it goes back. Maybe it's nostalgic. I don't know. You know, in a high One school One guy fight. in the corner just eating curly fries, <laughs> trying to mind his own business. Yeah, the guy with acne in the corner eating curly fries. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Chanting, fight, fight, fight. Uh, I will say Tim Anderson is from Alabama. So if you've if you've been on social media, you've learned that there are other people in Alabama who can fight much better, <laughs> who can handle their business in a fight much better uh, than Tim. Anderson. Alabama just feeling completely embarrassed right now. If, if you have he not does seen not the represent viral us. video, go check it out. Yeah, it's... if you haven't seen the viral video, you you don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, Alabama can hold their own in a fight. We learned that uh, over this weekend. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here. Big Band Tuesday. On Sportsnet 650, it's Jamie Dodd and Randy Janda filling in. Halvin and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber. Dot com Joining us now, it's actually, you know, considering it's August 8th, it's been a busy four or five days in the NHL in terms of news. Uh, joining us on the line, he covers the NHL for ESPN. He is Greg Wyshynski. And I uh, wish, I got to say, I always feel guilty getting a, a hockey writer, reporter to come on at this time of year because I know it's it's the summer break for all of us. So thank you for making time for us. I appreciate it. Well, you know, unlike a lot of hockey reporters, I don't own a cottage somewhere in the Canadian wilderness. I'm just here in Brooklyn, so it's fine. It's good. And besides, there's something to talk about. I mean, like a week ago, I was pretty convinced that all we'd have to talk about is uh, book talk and the uh, and the controversies surrounding the uh, Seattle Kraken. So to get an actual hockey trade. At this point in the summer was uh, was a relief. And wish I gotta say your piece, your deep dive explainer on book talk is like one of my favorite pieces of the year because that was something I did not understand at all. I had no idea, and I I learned a lot. Let's put it that way. Reading your piece, 
Well, yeah, and and not you know not to go off on a, on a tangent here, but like, it, listen, I I thought the story was definitely that the, that the Kraken leaned into marketing to a group that ended up objectifying one of its players to the point where the player and his wife both had to put out statements and then like quickly deleted all of the marketing that they had done <laughs> to you know make that player the uh, the apple of book talk's eyes so i definitely thought there was some news value in, in that story and the way that the kraken kind of handled this thing and it, it's nothing else like i was just talking to somebody about this uh the, yesterday because we're doing an espn daily uh podcast episode on book talk uh that i think that drops tomorrow um it's kind of a cautionary tale in 2023 about how to market your players there's a lot of teams that have really magnetic charismatic young stars and you know there's probably a way to market them you know in a way that's not going to make them feel horrible about themselves uh or bring uh crass harassment to their loved ones and uh it's kind of a i think a good cautionary tale in our social media age of 2023 well i gotta say wish uh, you're inspiring me to do more work in the off season because i have uh not been doing much in the hockey off season but um you know <laughs> And I have to be honest, I'd prefer Brooklyn over Muskoka anyway. So I'm with you on that one. <laughs> uh, we got you on here. Uh, obviously, the big news of the last couple of days in the hockey world, Eric Carlson going to Pittsburgh, joining Sid Crosby, Gino Malkin, and the gang. Uh, your thoughts on the deal itself. And, you know, the way we were talking about it here, we're both in agreement. Like, this makes a lot of sense for Pittsburgh. Uh, do you agree? And do you like the move for them? I really do. And, and I gave them an A in my grade on ESPN.com. And I almost went A plus because of how much work Kyle Dubas did in getting rid of all the contracts he basically needed to get rid of while also acquiring the reigning Norris trophy winner. Like if you had told me that'd be the sum total of the Carlson deal back when, you know, it became kind of apparent the Penguins were probably going to be the team that acquires him. I, I, I couldn't wrap my brain around that concept, but for, for him to rid the Penguins of, you know, of uh, Granlin, uh, Petrie, uh, you know, Ruda, who was a, uh, wasn't a bad contract, but was a holdover from the Ron Hextall days. Like, that is an amazing amount of business done to then also acquire one of the best defensemen on the planet. And, and I know people are saying, okay, look at his age, look at his injury history, um, you look at how much money and, and years are left in his contract. I mean, I think that's all true, but you also have to take it within the context of the Penguins trying to win again with this core. It's the decision they've made, whether it's a good or bad decision, I think is almost separate from the Carlson trade because you've decided to go in this direction. And if you've decided to go in this direction, there are very, very, very few players in this league you could have acquired that are this impactful and that, you know, actually increase the chances the Penguins could potentially contend for something next season. I completely agree with you, right? That he, the fact that he was able to move out all that money and get that kind of talent upgrade is really, really impressive. From an on-ice perspective, you know, there's there's been so much talk about Eric Carlson's defensive warts. How do you see the fit working in practice in Pittsburgh? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna certainly uh, tax uh, Ryan Graves and Marcus Pedersen to uh, yes. hold the fort, as it were, uh, as Eric does the Eric thing. Um, it's funny, I. I remember speaking to someone who knows Eric pretty well last season about his uh, Norris candidacy and, you know, he's putting up all these points and just having a great offensive season while, you know, not really paying attention to the other end of the ice. And this guy told me, look, if he was in a different situation, if he wasn't on the Sharks, if he was in a place where maybe he could win again, I guarantee you he's going to play defense. So uh, this will be the test as to whether or not 
the Carlson supporters who do believe that there is a defensive side of his game we just didn't see last season because he was putting the pedal down trying to score 100 points. We'll see if that still exists. But honestly, though, you know, you think about the DNA of a championship team. Uh, it's usually, you know, two centers, a goalie that's not going to lose you a series, and then most crucially in, in the cup champions we've had recently, two defensemen that can hold down the fort on, on two different pairings and play about 50 minutes a night. And now the Penguins have that. You know, if Latang is healthy, they've got two guys that are going to play 50 minutes of, of, uh, of a game and, uh, and do it really well. All right, looking at the Penguins in that division, though, because uh, your New Jersey Devils uh, are, are up there. Obviously, the Carolina Hurricanes, the way that they've upgraded their roster, are very much in the discussion to being first or second. Uh, the Penguins and the competition in that division, where do they sit? Are they you know, fighting for third? Do they still have a lot more work to do as far as maybe adding some more scoring depth up front? Uh, where in that division do you see them? I mean, I think there's. I think they could be third or or vie for you know one of the wild card spots. I mean, they only finished behind the Islanders, I think, by like two points last season. So it's not as if they were a country mile away from a playoff spot to begin with. But you know, I think you concede that if the Devils get any semblance of goaltending with the roster that they have in front of them, and if if they don't have that weird you know regression that sometimes young teams that that strike it rich have. Um, I think they're going to be in the top two. Carolina's a machine. You could just, you know, cement them into the top two right now. Uh, they're able to handle big injuries and things like that, and I think they're going to be fine. And then you get the Rangers, who, you know, I have had an okay offseason. I mean, they didn't really do much to replace Kane and, and Tarasenko from a goal-scoring perspective. I, I like the Blake Wheeler addition um, as a value-add after the buyout. Uh, but they're a team that certainly – you know, with a new coach seems to be kind of betting on the roster they already have. And that was a roster that to a man, all the Rangers after the postseason said, we're too slow. We don't play quick enough. And yet it's going to be the same team. They roll out a year, a year older. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. The Penguins can contend in the Metro. Um, but uh, again, just, just like some other teams though, we, we, for all this Carlson hype and the things they've done to improve their bottom six and things like that, it's still, they're, they're rolling with Tristan Jari and Alex Andelkovich next year. And uh, you could take that or leave it. From a Sharks perspective, you know, I guess the big win for them is that they only ended up having to retain $1.5 million on Eric Carlson's deal. But I, I look at the la- the rest of what they got back, and, you know, they had to take a bunch of not great salary cap commitments on their team in the short term. And, you know, I can't help thinking back to the reporting around the trade deadline about the high price they are going to demand for Eric Carlson and how they were going to stick to their guns. And did, did the Sharks end up misplaying this one a little bit in your eyes, Wish? They might've, I mean, I don't, I'm not privy obviously to the other deals that were on the table. And, and I think the real dynamic here that none of us know. Uh, and I tried to ask their GM Mike Greer about it as best I could when he, uh, he talked after the trade was the percentage of money that they were willing to keep on Carlson's contract. I, I reported earlier this summer that it wasn't going to be 50%. <laughs> you know, it wasn't going to be some yeah. gigantic percentage that a lot of people thought that they would, they would take in order to maximize the trade value going, coming back the other way. Um, I, that could be strategic. That's kind of how Greer painted it as not wanting to handcuff the team from a cap perspective by having all that dead weight on it for the next four seasons. Or that could be financial. I mean, this is a Sharks team that has gone from being a consistent pack-the-house contender to being a team that's been aimless the last few seasons. And, you know, the Shark Tank has had a lot of empty seats, and they're clearly not bringing in the same kind of revenue they used to. So 
whatever the decision was, that's really the, 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 the fulcrum for, for what they've got back is if you're only going to retain 13% on Eric Carlson's contract, then this is the return you get, you know, conditional first, you know, and then a bunch of people that may or may not have trade value when the deadline comes. And then a guy like Hoffman's case, the Habs couldn't even give him away. <laughs> so it remains to be seen what kind of return they can get on those guys. You talked about some of the struggles, obviously, from an attendance perspective, but you start looking at this roster. I think as of right now, either Matt Benning or Jan Ruda are going to be the number one right-shot defenseman on this team. They don't have much depth there. Do they have the worst outlook, the five-year outlook right now in the NHL as far as you know, a team, an organization that's going to face a lot of pain here rebuilding? Uh, is there, does anybody have it worse than the San Jose Sharks right now? No, I, I, that's a great point. I never really thought of it in, the, in that in that framing, but I think you're probably right. Cause even teams like the flyers and, uh, and, and some others have a little bit of, of youth in their system that they can point to and say, okay, this is what the next phase could look like. And, and that's really the problem with the sharks right now is that they're kind of stuck in purgatory. They've got, you know, Tomas hurdle on the roster on a long-term deal. They still have Logan Couture. Um, you know, Vlasic obviously has got one of those contracts for, and, and a no move clause that means he'll probably retire a shark. So they don't, I mean, they're, they're, there's nothing you can really point to right now on that team and say, okay, this is what the next phase looks like. This is what the next generation of Sharks looks like. And, and, and it feels like one of those teams that, that would, you know, benefit from bottoming out for the next couple of seasons and hopefully grabbing a franchise player in the draft because right now it's sort of aimless. One guy I'm, I'm really interested in is Couture, by the way. Like, I think mm. that that guy, I mean, if you're a team, like, like Colorado was the example that I had before the Ryan Johansson trade. Like, if you're a team that had the want for a second line center and a guy that you knew was going to compete and be effective and, you know, a win at all costs kind of player. Like I definitely knock on the shark's door and ask about Logan Couture. What about Boston as a fit for Logan Couture, given the, the significant absences at center that they're going to have to deal with next year? Well, I mean, he's a center, so I think he's a great fit for Boston. <laughs> like they, just, they just need something, man. You, I mean, you, rolling into the season with Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka as your number, number one and two pivots is not exactly a recipe for success. But again, like, there's a, I think there's just a real sense of, of you know, they, they scrambled a bit. They signed a bunch of veterans. They're trying to be competitive. They, they have to do right by the veterans on their roster. But, I mean – Look, they knew that this time was going to come where there was going to be a post-Bergeron uh, uh, era in, in Boston, and, and now they're in it. They took their best shot last year. They knew it was their best shot last year, and it went disastrously. So I don't know. It, it, I, I'm not quite sure what the, what the solution is going to be in Boston as far as like what they do in the middle. But, I mean, it, maybe it is a, a veteran stopgap until they can kind of figure out the next thing there, too. Uh, one of the other deals, smaller deal, but uh, still of note that happened over the weekend, uh, Matt Dumba signing with the Coyotes. Now, I've seen some people, in my opinion, I think, getting a little bit ahead of themselves and looking at, hey, you know, they got Kerfoot and they signed Jason Zucker and now they signed Matt Dumba. Could could the Coyotes be stealth playoff contenders in the Central <laughs> next year? I'm not buying it. I mean, like, like they're going to be better, but I think they would have to be so much better for that to be a reality. I, I don't see it happening. Do you wish? No, they're not better than the Avalanche or the Stars or the Wild, and they're probably not better than the Predators, um, and, they're, and they're probably not better than the Blues. Uh, so, so probably not. But that being said, I mean, you know, they, they, they did a smart thing, which is they, they've got some veteran players that I think are going to help um, a, a good number of the young players on the, on the roster. Like the, the Zucker move I thought was great. That's a smart move, having Dumba there. 
to kind of calm things down in the back end is a great move. And, you know, the bottom line is that they gave us a reason to watch the team this year in Logan Cooley. I mean, I think that, that kid's going to be a tremendously good player. And to have him in the mix this year means that, uh, you know, the, the 5,000 people watching these games at Mullet are going to have something to watch every night, which is exciting. Yeah, that's a change as well. And it, it's nice to actually, sure, they didn't hit a home run and get the most expensive thing on the market, right? If we're doing this in real estate terms, they didn't get the teardown. They didn't get the penthouse. They got, they got something, you know, manageable, something you can live in, which is, which is fine. That's the level of player that's an upgrade for the Arizona Coyotes compared to some previous years. Um, looking at Tom Wilson, though, he can definitely afford the penthouse on his new extension. Seven-year deal, making six and a half per season starting not this coming year, the year after. What do you make of that deal? Because it feels like his body's already starting to break down. I know it's been a rough couple of years for him uh, from an injury perspective, but does this deal make sense to you? No, of course not. But nothing's going to make sense about the Capitals because they're in a very unique position, which is that they are catering to a franchise player who has made that franchise I mean, if you told told it up, it's over a billion. I mean, as far as the amount of money that that Ovechkin's made them in the totality of his time there, and you are you're servicing the last few years of of his time in the National Hockey League as he chases one of the most heralded records in the history of sports. And so, you know, if if you need Backstrom there for that, if that's going to make Ovi happy, if you need Wilson on his wing, and that's going to make Ovi happy, then then those are the things you're going to do. And I, and I know there are going to be people saying well, that's insane. Why would you do this? Why would you try to make your <laughs> roster older? Like, like the Capitals had an enormous amount of cap space uh, heading uh, around the midpoint of last season. And then they used most of it just to re-sign guys. It didn't make any sense to me. But again, that's why you can't apply logic to this. I mean, they're, they're just doing what they're doing to uh, surround Obi with people he likes and, and, and kind of move forward and pay guys for work they already did. And in the case of Tom Wilson, I mean, the cautionary tale is, is Milan Lucic. And I think they're very similar kinds of players that play a similar kind of game. I think maybe Wilson's a, a little bit more fleet of foot than Lucic was, but, but not by much. And, uh, and, and so you're right. Those kinds of players are not the kinds of guys that you want to give seven years and that kind of money to at this point in their careers. Uh, and the other piece of uh, interesting news from late last week in the NHL, which was uh, Jeff Jackson, now the former agent for Connor McDavid, getting hired as the top hockey operations person. The CEO, I believe, of hockey operations is his title with the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, the easy reaction, obviously, is they hired Connor's a- agent to make sure he doesn't go anywhere in three years' time. And I'm sure that's part of it. But uh, what else does this move tell us about the direction the Oilers are headed in? Well, I mean, Jeff's a smart guy. I mean, like, he's a smart guy. He's a forward-thinking guy. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he does in that in that new position. And it's, you know, I, we, we've seen a few agents, I think, you know, grab the, the brass ring and become general managers. We've all been waiting for that moment when Pat Brisson decides to come over to the dark side and take over a team <laughs> uh, as, as the most prominent agent in the league. So I'm intrigued to see what, what Jax does with that gig. And like you said, I mean, Connor is three years away from, from free agency. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, one of the seminal moments in the history of the NHL if he decides he doesn't want to be in Edmonton anymore. Um, and uh, you're trying to do everything you can to keep him there, I guess. Wish, thanks for making time for us. Uh, I know you don't have a place uh, in Muskoka that you're calling in from, but we, uh, we appreciate you taking the time in the summer all the same. Thanks for doing this. 
Anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, that is ESPN's Greg Wyshynski uh, weighing in on all things NHL happening around the league right now. And it, 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 it is true. And we had um, we had Mark Spector, who covers the Oilers, of course, for Sports and on the show on Friday. And what he said was if any other team had made this Jeff Jackson hire, we'd be saying, oh, that's a really smart, progressive, forward thinking hire. Yeah. Because it's the Oilers, we get a different bit of a different reaction. I think that's fair. But it's also notable that it is the Oilers doing it, right? And is, was it done because they identified Jeff Jackson as, you know, the smartest guy they could get out there and the best fit? Or was it done from a place of, oh, we got to do everything we can to keep Connor McDavid happy? Which, look, I get. If you're going to kowtow to any player and cater to them, it, this is the guy to be doing it for. Okay, if the Oilers had hired the name that Wish just mentioned, Pratt Brisson. Yeah. We could probably say, wow, that was... You That's know, outside, a home run. Home run yeah. outside the box. Um, not the agent of Connor McDavid, so they're really they're going out there and they're making yep. it happen. But the fact that he is connected to the superstar player, that's where your mind goes first. And why wouldn't it, right? You're three years down the line. You've got the best player in the game, probably the best player that we've seen in a very, very long time. Like, mm-hmm. he can do things that nobody else has ever done in the ice. That's not hyperbole. We've seen Connor McDavid do that. So you're your mind automatically goes there to say, of course, this is a, how do you make sure that you retain this talent and he doesn't walk off into free agency? So I understand where spec is coming from, but I'm not necessarily sure I buy that because if they had hired an agent, a forward thinking agent that was not connected to one of their top two stars, I think most people would applaud and say, wow, that's great thing. But come on, how can you ignore the fact that he used to, or yeah, and I say this in air quotes, he used to, represent yep. <laughs> Connor McDavid, right? That's the first thing you, it's gonna you focus on, of course. Uh, 6.50, 6.50, few minutes before we go to break here now. As you mentioned, you've been dragged back into the studio for a big four days of work. Then you're taking off again right away. I am indeed. Like, at least I took my vacation. I was back for a month, and then I'm taking more vacation. You're taking vacation, working four days. Whoa, whoa hold on. Then I, you're going back on I, I need to clarify my situation right now. I'm technically on call. I can be called on okay. any time okay. to work. My cell phone is always on. I'm but ready anyways, to go. You're taking off Italy, I believe, right? Next, taking, taking next a page week. from Dan Riccio's book. Yeah. And what can you're I getting say? Getting the recs. Like, <laughs> I'm guessing you're getting the recommendations from from Reach. Come on, no man. I've been to I've been to Italy the same amount of times Riccio's <laughs> been. All right. Are you staying with Reach's family? Uh, put, no. Is he putting you up? No, he's, he's not that welcoming. Um, <laughs> we've we've uh, we've separated since Reach Deep Days. We're not as close <laughs> as we used to be. He's not offering that. All right, interesting. I, I'm, no, I'm joking. I'm uh, I'm actually I'm going to watch some F1, and I'm going to watch some fantastic. Hopefully, a Serie A match. Ooh. So here's the conundrum I have, and it's a bit of a warning to you guys for tomorrow. All right, very good. I have to buy tickets tomorrow. Okay. To, uh, Bologna versus AC Milan. Sure. Should be a good match. Sure. But the tickets go on sale at 1 a.m. And it's not ideal. No, it's for the Sorry, morning it's, show. It's Bologna versus Milan? Bologna. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Let's go with that. I'm not Italian. I could care less. I'm sure Riccio is probably screaming at the radio right now. Bologna. Um, but it's at 1 a.m. We generally get up at what? Like 3.30, 3.45 to do the I, show, 4 I o'clock? set my alarm at 5. Yeah, you, <laughs> I live okay, close. Yeah, you're I roll pleasant. in. You're Mount Pleasant. I, I get up at Jamie's like, coming in with like a bathroom and slippers. <laughs> yeah. Crossing his teeth. Yeah. Like a sleeping cap. <laughs> I wish. 
Yeah. We didn't have the stupid video roll in in my nightgown and my sleeping cap. Oh, right. I love that. Randeep was here before I was this morning. That's right. Randeep is pun- Randeep is, I will say this, Randeep is one of the most responsible people at the station in terms he, of like actually showing up to work in, a, in an appropriate time. I must say time. he's very professional and just kind of throwing me off because I'm just not used to dealing with this <laughs> level of professionalism on the show. But boys, so I'm trying to off. uphold this. What do I do tomorrow morning? Do I so, like, pull an like, all-nighter tomorrow? Here's, I, the, qu- here's yeah. the question I have. Do you know... I like obviously I know these are you know AC Milan very popular team is it in Milan or is it in uh, it's Bologna? in Bologna which Bologna. is a smaller stadium uh, but it's the opening weekend of the season okay because oh, okay okay that's important context so I was gonna say it's yeah. not do do you know it's going to sell out in a in a space of hours or a space of minutes it may I, like it's week one match I, day one I think what I would do so what time do you set your alarm today three forty five okay I think I would set so that's only that's less than three hours after they go on sale correct. Are you really concerned with the quality of the tickets you get? Or do you just want to be a, it sounds like a small ground. It's probably not a ton of bad seats, I'm guessing. Yeah, but I wanna if I'm going, I wanna go proper. Okay. All right. Well, I got my your, demands. That's in your life. business. I got my demands. So I'm warning you, I might pull a Chris Faber and not show up. <laughs> <laughs> or or I'll I will be wired with What's a lot the of secondary? Caffeine. What's the secondary market like for these tickets? I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to be dealing with the Italian secondary market as a foreigner. Yeah, he'll he'll have to give up a few uh, body parts. Probably. Yes. Yeah, you'll Come. you'll you'll owe somebody a favor. How Come. badly do you really need that finger? <laughs> I don't want to be walking around with a broken kneecap in Italy. I'd like to enjoy this. Trip, I'm just right? saying. I think you could. I think you could push it and just first thing, like set your alarm at three thirty instead of three forty five. Oh, Jamie, wake up and get you're tickets. living too dangerously, man. Ah, uh, whatever. You'll find a way in. All right. It's not like you're not gonna find a way in if you wake up at three thirty instead of one a.m. It's just a question of how much is that extra two and a half hours of sleep worth to you. I hear your advice. I'm probably going to get up at one o'clock. Slash, will you be able to sleep knowing that? I don't nap. That's another part of the story. I'm so not you a, gotta, I'm not a napper either. You got to try to get to bed at like eight o'clock. Then. That's your, that should be your goal. Get to bed super early. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be on like a, a five-year-old's bedtime. Yes, great. Exactly. This is great. Take exactly. like six melatonin. You'll be good. All right. All right. I am a doctor. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Sounds like you're talking from experience. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.